Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions and get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. It's my triumphal return. It's a return. We'll see how things go. Okay. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brewer. A triumph raves the Sun Sentinel. Oh, well, turns out it is triumphal. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. You're back. You're back. <laughs> we made it. And he's back. Lee's just yes. been sitting in that seat for two solid weeks. <laughs> People are very, very concerned. Well, we, oh, we do have the full contingent of hosts again. We have some great questions from you, the listening audience. Got a lot of fun stuff planned. But first, I must declare a fitness emergency. Whoa! Emergency? Courtesy of friend of the show, friend of Lee and myself, Alan. A little something called praise moves. Whoa. Now, you may wonder, is that the Michael W. Smith cover of the classic Night Moves? Maybe. Mm. <laughs> well, see, the, the, the 80s song I had in my head was, let's get physical, physical. Sure. That, but they're all wearing <laughs> knee-length, loose-fitting polyester clothing. Or, or... uh. Uh, floor-length denim skirts. Sure. Which, to be fair, yeah. I think if you can complete any kind of workout in a floor-length denim skirt, you may be one of the fittest people in the world. <laughs> yeah, you're crushing it. Good for you. It's like having a weight belt in one of those suits that wrestlers use to sweat and cut That's weight right. all at once. <laughs> the Praise Moves describes itself as a Christian alternative to yoga. Okay. Now, you Ooh. may have wondered, like I did when I was first sent this link, is this a cached GeoCity site from like 2001 <laughs> when <laughs> is yoga demonic was still a thing? No, it turns out this is still going. Jed, I believe you had an experience with some of the, the there's a little pop-up questionnaire when you sign into praisemoves.com. Yeah, I'm, I'm at praisemoves.com right now, which is probably not a good idea. It's probably not great that this is like, you know, something that could be tracked, but here we are. So there's a pop-up and it has a series of questions uh, that presumably it would like me to ponder. So I'll share them with you, the listening audience. Question number one, and it's going to sound weird when I read them, but I want to be true. There's a lot of weird use of capitalization. So the emphasis that you hear in my reading, again, this is literally what they have written. Is yoga trying to ruin Christianity? That's question one. <laughs> Question two, yoga poses are offerings to what? Wow. I love that that one sounds like a BuzzFeed clickbait article. <laughs> yeah, totally. You won't totally. believe what you're making a sacrifice to. It gets weirder. Wait for it. Question three, the Lord of yoga is who? <laughs> I just would love now to open a yoga studio and the name of of myself being the owner of the studio is the Lord of Yoga. The Lord of Yoga. Sure, like that Irish guy was Lord of the Dance. You can be Lord of Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're in the home stress. Just two more. Here, here's the next question. There's no such thing as Christian yoga, question mark, than three exclamation points. <laughs> I don't think that's a real punctuation you can use. And then... Last one. This is the final question, which I'd like to know. I think probably was meant to be a statement, not a question, but it ends with a question mark. And so in the spirit of I'm Ron Burgundy, I'm going to read what's on the teleprompter. Okay. There is a Christ-centered alternative? 
But yeah, this later on it, it says on here, uh, even some so-called Christian yoga practices quotation fingers keep these poses in their classes with Christian music in the background, which apparently makes that okay? Question mark. But here's the thing: is they're trying to say Christian yoga is not a thing, but. They're doing praise moves, which is totally different. And the picture of the woman on the website, who I guess it's her that's doing it, is doing a well-known yoga pose called the boat pose. Like, it's she's doing an actual yoga thing and saying, this isn't like yoga with Christianity tacked onto it. This is a whole different thing. I will bet any amount of money she refers to that as the arc pose. <laughs> sure exactly there's just no yeah. way so it's totally different y'all it's not not the same thing that's a really good point is what are the christian alternatives to the yoga poses well they have one here on the page uh it's being demonstrated by Haley from north carolina she sure. is demonstrating the lifted gates posture so first of all it's not a pose it's a posture oh, um, that's very important okay Second, lifted gates, and there there is a scripture reference from Psalm twenty four seven. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the lifted gates, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of Glory shall come in. Lifted gates posturally. Well, hmm. so we got that. Wow. Uh, there's a number of animal based poses in yoga. So I think your your crow pose, your pigeon pose, all of those are going to have to be dove. So that's going to get confusing. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were ravens, though, Matthew, that brought Elijah, the prophet, food uh, during during the uh, dur- during the famine of the three and a half years. So maybe we could change it to just raven pose. That's good. Or something like that. But you know, there's got to be some kind of scripture reference. There's got to be like a a sheep pose or a fish pose yeah, or something that's like good. or posture i guess as as jed pointed out or like a potluck pose that kind oh, of oh yeah that's oh, a yeah. good point that's a good point there's like sure upward facing casserole <laughs> <laughs> i feel like there's a i feel like in yoga there's a child's pose and maybe like the way the christians do it is just like uh you must turn and become like children to enter the kingdom of heaven posture Right. That's good. Well, That's look, good. Look, there's a, you know, you guys are, are funning around, but there's a zinger on here that's about to just blow the doors on all this. So Zing me, Glenn. Brace, Zing me. Brace yourself. Okay, so it quotes Acts 15.29, abstain from things offered to idols. So wouldn't you say that yoga poses are things? Uh. And I, not necessarily. Know, I, I would say I would say no. That's not objects. <laughs> it it's a pose, but it, it's not an object. So so no, uh no. Well Glenn, I can give so, you another one of the, the sweet zingers from the about us. Why a Christian alternative to yoga section of this really, really extensive and long website. Uh so she's talking about obviously, you know, the whole underlying thing is that yoga is a a Hindu plot to make everyone be Hindu, even though I've personally never been to a yoga class taught by anyone who wasn't a 
25 year old white lady from the suburbs. So right. not sure how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that they're the most undercover Hindus of all. But uh, so practitioners teach mudras as a gateway to spiritual enlightenment, or as I call it, demonic influence or endarkenment. Whoa. Oh, gosh. Can I just pause here and note that um, as awful as all that is, and it's deeply awful, Endarkenment may be the greatest metal band name of all time. Wow, how dude. Is, how am I not That's listening to good. Endarkenment right now? Dude. Like, I, I want you to send me a playlist by Endarkenment immediately. <laughs> also, I love how Matt set that up with the Rocky and Bullwinkle style of, like, three titles to the episode. Yeah. Or, or. <laughs> Absolutely right. Well, speaking of the, the multiplicity of the things contained within, like we said, you know, this is, this is all premised on the idea that uh, in doing yoga and not praise moves is going to make you be secretly Hindu. Uh, she has a, this website has, you know, one of those kind of uh, motivational poster style images. You'll see your aunt post on Facebook with like a sunset and some very uh, frilly writing over it that says, Yoga is the missionary arm of Hinduism. And it's quoted to someone. And I thought, did she find some weird, like, Hindu person who said that a long time ago? No, it's this lady. That's ah. who that quote is by. Ah, self-quote. Also, Matt, Secretly Hindu, the new album from Endarkenment. Oh, That's right. yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. On the Sacrifice to Idol tours. <laughs> <laughs> Op- opening for Endarkenment, Molek. Yes. <laughs> yes. So even granting the own strange internal logic that, uh, you know, yoga is evil because Hinduism. And you, so you got to come up with a Christian version so you don't accidentally do Hindu. There are other <laughs> uh, alternative exercise programs under the Praise Moves banner. Okay. Okay. There's I'm ready. Praise Moves Gold. For seniors and those with limited physical mobility, ah, which feels like a shot across the bow of one Richard Simmons. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's yeah, yeah. praise kicks, kickboxing mm. with the word. Oh gosh, <laughs> Christian praise waves, aqua praise moves. Okay, okay. <laughs> and finally, Mira, the quote Christian alternative to Zumba, according to David Warren of the oh, Oasis gosh. Network which I hope is a television network that only covers Oasis. <laughs> and this got <laughs> slid in there somehow. Well, I, I don't know if you brothers have made your way over to the testimonies uh, page, but this, this really takes the big uh, cake for me. Um, over the years, we enjoy sending the first ladies of the United States gifts of praise moves. This year, we sent praise moves to First Lady Melania Trump. We received hmm. a lovely signed card from her and President Trump. Now, this, what follows is definitely, you know, I mean, it, they just printed it. They didn't put a picture up there. But this sounds to me totally like it's specific to them and in no way a form letter that they just stamped out. Sure, sure. So, so enough with your skepticism. Thank you for your kind wishes, period. Our hearts are filled with gratitude as we reflect on the blessings of faith, family, and freedom that shape our great nation. May peace and joy be with you. That's like, you know, that 
it's like you can feel the, the personal touch, the personal touch, and yeah. you know the way they kind of mention stuff that's specific about <laughs> the stuff that they got sent, and it's like you know, so that's like pretty. That's pretty. You know, that's something. I like that there was, and there probably still is in every administration, a some poor intern who, you know, shanked everybody at Dartmouth to get this internship at the White House. And what they have to do is read the weird mail that comes in and decide which form letter to send them. Right. Like this right. was clearly the the faith based form letter as opposed to the yeah. we also agree that business is the mo- is the driving force behind freedom and we appreciate your letter signed. There's the nothing like American small towns. Form letter four exactly. C. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so the the person who uh, founded all this uh, describes herself as a doctor, and so I went okay. to to LinkedIn to see if I could find, you know, people will list their you know their credentials, and I do not find any kind of uh, it doesn't say what degree she received, wow. but maybe a doctorate, but it mentions two universities attended, okay. and. I feel it says something about this person, and it also may be that she is the only person in the world to have ever attended these two universities. The first is New York University, uh, which we're all sure. aware of, uh, and that one was followed by Oral Roberts University. Oh, oh yeah! Maybe mm. the only person to ever do so that particular path. <laughs> something happened to NYU. Yeah. <laughs> I can see some people who maybe the opposite thing happened, and they did a year at Oral Roberts and lost their mind and then went to NYU. Right. <laughs> but to take it that way is really something. Well, I have, I have one thing that I think, you know, maybe just a, a real, a real joy for us because it links this emergency with some of our, our previous emergencies that have to do with, let's be honest, kind of toxic masculinity in the Christian world. So I'm looking at the FAQ and uh, one of the questions is I'm a man, but see mostly women in your DVDs and on your site is praise moves for men too. And so there's a, a, a very long, very weird answer, but they have a product that they recommend for men called Power Praise Moves. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so powerful. Yes. Now I'm so sad. Before I was like marginally sad. Now I'm very sad. Lee, you're welcome. You're power welcome. <laughs> Also, <laughs> the the real, real humdinger here is the next sentence, which is, on our Cafe Press site, we even have a t-shirt that says, real men do praise moves. <laughs> and I have to see if that's still up. And of course it is. There's an entire cafepress.com slash praise moves. And I think... We're going to end this emergency before, in a overwhelming bit of irony, I end up buying a Praise Moves hoodie that I will almost certainly regret as soon as we hit stop record. So on that very, very dangerous note, we're going to declare <laughs> emergency off. So, uh, yeah, um, we, we, we were mentioning, we were talking about this before the show, there's got to be a money play and just finding something that is just totally normal but mainstream and just saying it's secretly evil and we're the Christian alternative. So in that, in that uh, spirit, I would like to pitch 
something I think it'd be easy to sell the general public on being evil, which is email. We're all pretty sure that emails are satanic, but there's one that's the Christian alternative to marketing emails, and that's Bridgebox. You can get that into your Ah. inbox every single month. Go to missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You get songs, sermons, lots of good, encouraging stuff for yourself. Only $8 a month. missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You can also check out the Christian alternative to whatever people put on Facebook watch, because I've literally only watched the bridge live on uh, that particular Facebook service, but that makes us the Christian alternative to watching people play Minecraft. I don't know what other people do. Sure. Uh, yeah. Facebook.com slash bridge Chicago for our bridge live service every Sunday at 7 PM central time. If you can't catch that live wherever you're on the world, they're all right there on that same Facebook page. If you want to scroll down and find those. We hope you will join us for that. We are having a lot of fun bringing our Tuesday bridge service to our friends around the world at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get touch this, or you can scroll down to your episode description, click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I'm closing out a season in my life. I fe- I'm very impatient for this new life to start. I'm worried my impatience will cause me to do things wrong and fail. How can I get more patience when I need it the most? And a, a great question, very similar to something we recently looked at, at the bridge. And Glenn, where would we start off? Well, I, I think we ought to start off with the fact that we can relate to what you're talking about. I think most yep. people can. There's, there's nothing like that feeling of waiting to get to the blessing when you're kind of slogging through the process of, of, of getting there. And I think there's a lot, a lot of people you know, regardless of where they are in life, feel like once they get over that next hump, that's where the good stuff is. You know, once I finish this schooling, I can graduate and I can get a nicer job. Once I get this job, I can do a little better and get a raise and do what I really want to do. And then if I do better at that, maybe I can get a corner office. You know, it's just this constant achievement thing but we have this way of saying the happiness really kicks in on the next level and then it just never seems to quite get there you're sort of in a zeno's paradox of of uh, achievement in order to get happiness i think the real thing i want to start with on that is to i would really advise you be aware of when you are giving circumstances in this case or people permission to tell you when you have made it Mm. Uh, that you need to be deciding that you need to hopefully be deciding that in in prayer and letting god demonstrate and show to you in what ways you are uh, making it and you know to what extent you've arrived at certain milestones when you need to celebrate the the victories that you've had and so forth that's where the recognition and that's where the sense of achievement needs to be rooted uh, because the world gives you conflicting signals all the time, and it does to me too. Uh, the more I accomplish, uh, I, I don't get more kudos. I don't get more people telling me I've done great. I just get more people being jealous. And when they're jealous, they say ugly and weird things in sort of a passive-aggressive way. And that just makes me wonder maybe I need to try a little harder or do a little better or something. And that's how you end up on this constant uh, runaround. Uh, You know, I think 
it's also important to recognize in terms of having patience on things that aren't here yet that we tend to not ask for patience. That's why we're always running lows because we we don't want patience. We want it fixed. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference there. Uh, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge that is just own it. I want it fixed. I don't want patience. I, I don't want to be able to handle this well. I just don't want to handle it at all. I want it fixed. If you can say that, then you can move forward and say, okay, I know it's not going to be fixed overnight. I know it's a process, um, you know, uh, and I recognize that uh, we, I think we tend to think that the more patience that we have and the more that we exercise, that that will sort of make the waiting seem longer because you're just, you're just somehow giving in to the fact that it's not happening. You're just, you're just accepting that it's going to happen at a glacial pace or something. And that somehow that will make it worse. It's like there will be more waiting because it's uh, you're, you're, you're not trying to rush it, but the opposite is true. Impatience, uh, slows everything down. You know, it's that old saying, a watched pot never boils. You know, the more impatient you are, the longer this seems to take. Uh, The more patient you are, the faster everything moves. It's just, that's just kind of the irony of it. And the final little point on all that that I I would put out there is to ask yourself, in terms of the changes you want to make in your life, I'm with you. I I want it all fixed and working great overnight and all of that. But my, the thing I would challenge you on is to ask, is slow change or fast change better? Mm. Uh, mm. Is, it, is it which is healthier psychologically, which, which just makes for more enjoyment? Um, have, you, have you given thought to slow change and what that might mean and how that might work in your life? So uh, I'd leave you with that and I'll let these other guys uh, pick up on the rest of it. I think that's a really, really good foundation to start off from. And Lee, I'd love you to pick us up there because I really like a lot of what Glenn's saying about the way we perceive patience. And I think there's all, that also applies to the way we perceive about having patience of just kind of this thing where you grit your teeth. But like all things, there's a strategy to patience, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I love where Glenn left us off there, which is really an open-ended question to ponder. And, and it's a question that, that uh, really drives a person towards a concept that we don't talk about enough in Christian culture, which is the concept of maturity. And I, I mean, I, th- I think his open in, open into question there about, uh, you know, just kind of like that slow growth. I mean, that the, you know, the results over time, that's such a key thing. My, my thought on this is um, what we need to do here is we need to make a plan. Um, you know, the idea of mustering patience like I'm just going to I'm going to grit my teeth and then I'm and then I'm just going to and then I'm going to get all the patience I need. It's like when you watch movies and and you know somebody gets angry enough to like you know perform some physical feat that they couldn't otherwise do unless they mustered the strength for it. That that only happens in the movies. What we need is a detailed plan of attack. Um exactly as you're saying Matt, we need strategy, we need tactics, we need we need fair expectations. Um how do we wait while also, you know, figuring out what is fair to expect from this moment? I was actually just, uh, I'm reading this memoir right now and, um, 
and, and in the process of reading this memoir, to actually today I was reading about this, uh, uh, you know, in, in this guy's situation, he had a, a confidant who had worked with him for a long time, and and it became clear the guy was going to move on from from this partnership, and so um, the guy that's writing the memoir found an old kind of detailed list of like when we started working together, these were the things we were going to accomplish, and it was like, you know, it was like three years of of things. It was a you know a list that they had made three years ago or whatever, and almost everything was checked off the list. And as the guy was kind of getting ready to leave and he's, he's asking for his boss's blessing, the boss like produces this list in a room full of the whole staff and says, hey, I just want you to know, as you walk away, not only do you have my blessing, but we did everything we hoped to accomplish, except maybe a couple of little details. And I just, I want everybody to recognize like we made a, we made a bold list and over the process of many years together, we accomplish those things bit by bit, slowly, line by line. And um, the the guy that was walking away from this from this job was one of these kind of gruff dudes that doesn't get emotional. But he became overwhelmed in that moment because he was like, "We did it. You're right. We did that. We did the thing." When you make a a plan and a list, um, it, it's something that can help you deal with impatience because you have you have a plan of attack. You have uh, some things you want to accomplish little by little. What's really awesome about, I, I love the list making thing. I mean, for me, for my personality, that's a, a great way to handle um, things that could otherwise be emotionally overwhelming and, or things that where I feel like, you know, this needs to happen quick or it needs to happen, whatever. Because after a while I can look back at that list and say, we've crossed out all of these things. Um, it, you know, making a detailed plan of attack, making a strategy for how this this time of transition is going to go, it's the kind of thing that can help you set expectations, and it's the kind of thing that you can look back on in years to come with a with a healthy pride of like, hey, I developed patience, I developed the maturity that that Glenn is talking about at the end of his response when he asked that very very important question, and um and then and then we did what we set out to do, um, having a plan of attack. That kind of strategy helps us organize. Um, it doesn't. It, it it helps us to not be overwhelmed by all of the, the just kind of the, just just kind of the the avalanche of what a time of transition could potentially be. If we can organize, if we can strategize, and we can space things out, then with maturity we can get a a good fair set of expectations, and then look back on this whole process with a lot of pride at how we handled it. I think that's a really Great place to take this. And Jed, I'd love to get you to close this out by looking at one aspect of this that's really more of a an approach thing, which in, in our friend's question, they say, I, you know, I'm very excited, I'm going to be very impatient, and I need more patience. And to build on what Glenn and Lee are saying, it's almost never a good idea to say, I just don't want to do the wrong thing, because that's kind of yeah. hard to do. So what's the other side of that coin? We've well, already heard some really good wisdom on this. I think that it's going in my life, I'll tell you something that works for me and, and perhaps it'll work for you. It's a lot easier to be patient when you have a sense of what the right approach or solution would look like and you have a way to gauge where you are in that process. Mm. So again, it's easier for me and I suspect for you to be patient when 
you have a sense of how we're going to do this. Like, it's not just that we've come up with a big audacious goal and we have no idea how to achieve it, but we know, practically speaking, how to achieve it and that we are working a process where we can tell how far along we are in this process, right? So I'll give you a simple practical example. So if you decided that you wanted to learn a new language, um, and there's a lot of apps to do that. Duolingo is a really good one. Um, you might commit yourself, I'm going to just spend 10 minutes a day working on this, and um, I know that I'll improve at a certain rate. Well, one of the advantages is you actually – you can make a little note, and the app would help you remember – how many days in a row you've done your 10 minutes. Yeah. You, yeah. you actually have a way to monitor, am I doing my part of this? Am I investing in this process in the way that I intended to? And actually a lot of apps would also give you like, how's your percent accuracy on the drills that we do? And how's your, your vocab and how many words do you know? And that kind of thing. So you have these, these check posts along the way, you have these guides letting you know, that you are improving, that you are moving towards your goal, that you are, even if it's slow progress, which I, I, I think Glenn is strongly correct that slow progress is the better way to go, that you are making progress. I, I think in, for me, impatience is at its absolute worst when I don't know if I'm getting anywhere or not. Like I've been at this a long time and I don't know if I've improved or not. I don't know if I'm anywhere closer to the goal. Uh, like maybe I am just drifting in open ocean and I'm not getting closer to any actual port of call. I think that feeling is really hard to be patient with. Uh, I think that that is really, really tough to, uh, be cool with in any regard and, and extremely hard to just be okay with over a period of time, which we tend to define as being patient. But when we have a clear goal of what it is we're hoping to achieve, we have a sense of how we're going to achieve that goal. And we have checkpoints along the way. We have things that can let us know how we're doing on that journey. It becomes so much easier to be patient with that process. Again, at least for me, I'll throw in two very quick bonus points that go right along with this. Um, and they, again, they build on the excellent stuff that Glenn and Lee both gave you. The first is when you're looking at these changes in your life, it's cool to be aware of what you don't want. But it's much more actionable to be aware of what you do want. Yeah. Um, when you ask most people, like, just you know, tell me, you know, you want changes in your life. What's that like? Most people, the first ten things they tell you are the things they don't want. Right? I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to live with my parents. Let's pause there. Those are all don'ts. There are an infinite grade of uh, living situations other than living with your parents. There are all kinds of relational dynamics other than you being alone. There are all kinds of forms of, of income other than you being broke. And we can't, it's not actually super easy to directly pursue the not. But if you say, I do want to make a middle-class income, well, you can work towards that. If you say, I do want to get an apartment with friends, you can work towards that. All of a sudden, if it's, if it's a, a do rather than a don't, we are beginning to define something. And that would really be the second piece that I have for you is, break down things that can't be readily defined into pieces that are definable. If you say, I want to succeed, that's cool. That's, that's, that's a do, but it's not very easy to know when you've gotten there. Just like Glenn was saying with his answer, it's you, you've kind of succeeded when you decide that you have. But if you say part of the success that I want is I want to be able to afford my own apartment. That's not living with my parents. All of a sudden, this is a defined piece. And we know when we've gotten there, we can actually work towards it. 
All of that's going to help you a lot with having that patience and with getting where you want to go along the way. All great stuff from all these guys on a very, very broad and a very, very important topic. So I think you got a lot of very good practical stuff to work with there. We are going to move on to our next question, which comes in and says pretty simply, what, if anything, does the Bible say about refugees? And a great question, a timely one, unfortunately, but a very, very good question. Lee, where do we kick it off? Wow. Uh, yeah, thanks for writing this in. Honestly, the there's almost no end to what the Bible says about people who have had to leave their country for one reason or another and, and wind up in yours. Um, uh, for some folks, they've had to leave their country because of war. Some folks leave their country because they're starving. Um, like there are tons of different reasons that people leave the country that, that, that they were born in and they wind up in another one or having to flee to another one. In general, I will tell you that the people that I have met who are refugees or people um, I've met in other countries, they do not want to leave their homes. Uh, usually if they have to do that, it's because it's, it is a, they have to, they have to leave there. Um, there, it is a horrible place. There's something horrible happening. They, they don't necessarily just want to come to, to, to your place. Maybe there's a total disagreement about how anyone got here, but one thing we can all agree on in tons of countries around the world, they're here now. And one thing we can say is the Bible is crystal clear. Um, we are to love them. We are to help them. We are to care for them, period. Um, a lot of folks don't know this, but when the Bible talks about people who have left their country and wind up in your country, um, the second most common command in the Bible is love the foreigner. The most common command in the Bible is love the Lord your God. The second most common occurring command in the Bible is to love the foreigner who winds up in your land, however they got there over 300 times in Scripture. And by the way, um, there's other things that, that, Christian, that Christians are really, really fired up about, that they have a lot of animosity towards, they have a lot of energy for, that, you know, that are mentioned in the Bible a couple of times, uh, less than a dozen times. Um, they, they talk about certain agendas and all that kind of stuff, and we're talking about something that's stuff that's barely mentioned in the Bible, maybe a few times. Loving the foreigner who is in your land over 300 times in Scripture, the only command that occurs more often is love the Lord your God. Um, one case in point that I want to point out is a very, very cool one that happens in the, the book of 1 Kings chapter 8. Um, this is an interesting one because of the perspective. Most of the times when the Scripture talks about uh, loving the foreigner that's in your land, a, a refugee who's wound up in your country— it's the Lord is commanding a prophet to tell his people, I want you to care about these people the same way you care about yourself or the same way you care about your children. It's all super clear. You can't get around it. You would just have to ignore the entire Bible or uh, admit that you don't believe in it to get out of it. But in 1 Kings chapter 8, there's a totally different perspective. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, Sol King Solomon has built the temple in Jerusalem to be the home for the Ark of the Covenant and the whole thing. And when they dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, Solomon says this, when the foreigner comes here and prays to you, do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that they'll know how great you are. I love that prayer. 
Yeah. I think it's so cool. Solomon's attitude is God isn't just for us. He's also for everyone else. He's for everybody that hopes in God. And he and and Solomon's hope is and his prayer is that God will honor and answer the prayers of outsiders, of foreigners, of people who have come into the land who don't come from here. In other words, not only are we supposed to from the mouth of God himself, love the foreigner that's among you and love them like you love yourself, love them like you love your own children, that whole thing. But our attitude toward them is supposed to be so warm and so inclusive and so communal that we would actually plead to our God, oh God, when they pray to you, please answer their prayers. That's how much we love them. That's how for them we are, is that we are pleading on their behalf that you would answer their prayers. We're actually, we've gone all the way down to praying their prayers with them. Um, that is the heart of, of what it's supposed to be to be a person of God when it comes to someone from another country that for some reason, whether it be war, whether it be famine, whether it be hunger, whether it be, whether it be genocide, whether it be, whether it be corruption, whether it be whatever it is, people escaping for their lives, people who did not want to leave their homeland but had to, were forced to, who have wound up in your country, that our heart would be so for them that we would actually pray their prayers with them, and we would plead that our God would answer their prayers. That's how warm and how deep our heart should be for refugees. That is a definitely a wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, what would we add to that? Well, I want to echo and agree with every single thing Lee said to you. That is spot on and awesome. I would add two things. The first is one more Bible fact, and that is that Jesus was a refugee. Mm. Uh, There is no getting around the fact that Jesus, as a child, was at risk for politically motivated violence, uh, fled to a foreign land to seek refuge. That is, uh, that's right there in the Bible. Jesus was a refugee. And so, um, obviously I think that, um, <laughs> I think that if you love Jesus, then one way to express love for Jesus would be to love refugees. I think that that follows pretty, pretty straight away, but there's another part of this that we need to to look at. And that is on some level, this question is being asked because there's someone in your life that is trying to make you afraid of refugees. Mm. And we need we need to look at why that is. Now, that could be a person that, you know, like in your actual real life, like a family member that could be someone that's on a news channel Um, that could be someone on some website or or YouTube channel or something. But we're we're asking this question because there's someone that's trying to get you afraid and wound up in regards to refugees. And I think that it's really worth looking at. Why would that be? Hmm. What? Where is it coming from that this person would want you to be afraid of refugees? Well, the first two things that come up a lot about refugees uh, are worth examining because we have a second here. So the first one, of course, is that, you know, these refugees, uh, they, they bring all this crime with them. And it turns out that's just not true. Yeah. It is numerically, empirically, measurably false. Um, so that's actually not, not a problem. It's been studied. It's not true. It's, it's not a thing. The second one would be, well, these refugees, they're coming here and they're taking your job. That's, that's what they're doing. And so that should concern you. And here's what I want to challenge you on. 
I want to see if you can find one person that's actually connected to you. Not like your buddy's cousin, sister's boyfriend who was on YouTube this one time, but like a person you kind of sort of have actually met who has in any way lost a job because of a refugee. I want you to see if you can find that because I think the odds are almost infinitely high that you can't. Um, and, and if you can, you get to say that promise. You can email me and yell at me um, if you find it. But I, I think you would be really, really challenged to find that. So the crime thing is not a thing. The, the taking your job thing is, is not a thing. So why else would we be wound up about or afraid in regard to refugees? And here's what I think. You don't have to go with me on this, but I'd, I'd like you to think about it. And that is some philosophies that includes political philosophies, that includes uh, religious philosophies. Some philosophies require a bad guy. We need there to be a villain. We need there to be people that are on the outs. We need there to be people that we don't like. We need there to be that category of other for our political or religious philosophy to exist uh, for it to make sense for it to go forward and um my strong strong guess is that that is what is going on on some level whether they can articulate it or not with the person that wants you to be afraid of and concerned about refugees they need someone to blame bad things on and this is a handy target that's where this is almost certainly coming from. You can dig into it. Again, our Say That Money Back guarantee, if you look into it and you find out that that's super not the case, you can, you can email me and tell me how displeased you are. But I think if you look into it, I think you will discover that that's almost certainly what is going on. And here's, here's what I want to tell you as, as a Christian. Um, refugees are not your enemy. Right. Um, the, the, the Bible actually says that um, our enemies are not flesh and blood. Um, but that our enemies are the principalities and powers of this dark age, that, that our enemies are, are spiritual enemies. I think if someone is coming to you and saying, I want to point out to you a person or kind of people and tell you that they're your enemy, I think you should be very suspect of that as a Christian, uh, because that really is not in line with what Jesus taught or what Paul taught, for that matter. It's, it's just not in line with the New Testament and with Christianity. We do have an enemy, but that enemy is a spiritual enemy. That, that enemy is, is the evil one. Other human beings are not your enemy. Other human beings are not my enemy. And again, when you find a political philosophy or you find a religious philosophy that needs there to be an enemy for you and then wants to define who that person is, I want to encourage you to really be very careful of that and take the time to to dig all the way through that and compare that with what scripture plainly says. An excellent, excellent place to take that. And Glenn, where would we close this out? Well, I'm with Jed. Anytime somebody's trying to get you afraid of anything, check to see if they're digging in your pockets at the same time. And you'll find that's happening a lot. Um, But yeah, I think part of the, um, part of the interesting and unusual thing about a you know, looking through your Bible and reading about refugees is that that word is not used in a lot of translations. Uh, And there's a non-sinister reason for that. It's because, uh, you know, if you look back historically, um, the idea of a nation 
and a, a religious system and a culture were all fused together in one thing. So in the New Testament, you have words like ethnos, which means somebody who's culturally different, xenos, as in xenophobic, which refers to someone who is from another country, uh, uh, parokos, uh, paroikos, excuse me, which means like parallel, para, and oikos, which means house. So it's someone from not this living situation, if you want to put it that way. Exothen is another word that's used. Uh, it just really means outsider as far as that goes. So they would use all these different words, but they're all talking about the exact same thing of someone's just not Jewish, that's not of our faith. Uh, and then when you move into the New Testament, where these words are being used, it kind of gets even further muddled because some of those people were not Jewish in the first place and who are now Christians. And so, you know, this idea of outsiders really becomes a religious distinction as opposed to a purely cultural plus nation plus, uh, you know, uh, a, a religious thing. So really, um, it seems like that might be a source of some some confusion, and it seems like that might be the kind of thing that people who want to be shady would try and color outside the lines. It says, well, you know, it says outsiders, so that could be anything, you know. Or it says uh, strangers. Sometimes the, these words are translated as strangers. And, you know, so that's different. You know, that does, that could just be uh, something else. Uh, but it's important for you to know you do not have wiggle room on the issue of refugees in the Bible. Um, so quickly, I'll, I'll, I'll hit you with this one verse, which for me uh, kind of says it all. This is Leviticus uh, 19, and this is, you know, we're talking Old Testament law. We're talking about no wiggle room. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34 says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing in your land must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. And then the verse ends with this I am the Lord your God. <laughs> right. So I'm just saying, when when he signs the end of the verse with his name and reminds you what his title is, man, I don't think you want to get even a, a half bubble off plum with that dude. I mean, let's get right on top of the fact that he's very, very, very emphatic about all of that. That's a great place to close that out. And one thing I'll attack on the end here, and it goes back to what all these guys are saying, about the the fear elements, the the amount of effort that has to go into counter steering something that is so clearly uh, central to scripture, as these guys are all pointing out, is that not only is the the idea that you can or should uh, hate or mistreat someone just because they're from another country and they want to live in your country now uh, unbiblical and unchristian, every counter argument that tries to hold that up is indirect contra contravening to scripture and the spirit you know jed describes someone there there's the idea of 
well, they're going to come and take the jobs and there's only so much to go around. That idea in and of itself is very much contrary to everything Jesus ever taught. Yep. But there's only so much and you've got to get yours. Yeah, what are you supposed to do if somebody asks for your shirt, Matt? Keep it! Keep it! Go buy another shirt! Don't let them have that one either! All the shirts! I have 37 shirts on right now! If you buy all the shirts, then you control the shirt market, and that's just shrewd business. You have to be careful, as these guys are pointing out, on those high-level things, but then every individual thing under it is going to fall apart when you hold it up to Scripture, and that is another hallmark of a very, very, very bad argument that someone is definitely making for extra uh, biblical reasons. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I've started to go to therapy and I'm seeing some patterns where I went wrong with some things in my life, particularly in my relationship with my partner. I feel like if I had a time machine, I could go back and with what I know now, not make a lot of mistakes and do things a lot better. But since I already made the mistakes, I'm not sure what good this new knowledge is. And I think it's a really good question, a very interesting angle on uh, self-improvement and growth. And I think there's a lot of good stuff in here. And Jed, where would we start off? It's a great question. We're glad that you wrote in. And we're really glad that you're taking the steps to, to go and get some therapy. That's awesome, man. We're happy for you. We're proud of you. Here's where I would want to begin in responding to your question. How you understand your past has an enormous impact on what you do in your present. Yeah. Let me say that again. I want you to hear me on that. How you understand your past has an enormous impact on what you do in your present. There's no getting around that. That's true for every single one of us. Um, if you tell yourself, um, I'm just bad at relationships, that's just, that's just the way that I am, that's not really a solvable problem. Um, if, you, if you tell yourself, in my past, I've had all these bad experiences because I'm just bad at relationships, well, I guess you're kind of out of luck. By contrast, if you get some therapy and you come to a point where you say, you know what? I resist giving people trust even when it's been earned. That actually is an addressable problem. That is something that you can do something about. Both are ways of understanding your past, but one kind of keeps us in a place of defeat and hopelessness, and the other presents us with an understandable, addressable problem that we can do something about and get different results in our life moving forward. That's it's an enormous, enormous difference. In our last question, um, I was encouraging you to to be on your guard when people want to say to you, um, here is your enemy, uh, because whatever comes after that is hardly ever a good or helpful or Christian thing. I have another thing for you to be on your guard against, and that is to beware the belief, this is just who I am. Hmm. Yeah, That hardly ever corresponds to something healthy. That this is just who I am is it's reductive. It overly simplifies things and it refuses to take into account that plenty of things go wrong for several reasons at the same time. Um, I think that when we've had a rough past, there's a strong impulse to, to not want to look too closely at it because we already feel bad about it. And we feel like if I started looking really closely at it, I would just find more things to feel worse about. So we should just chalk it up to, I guess I'm just bad at this. And then I don't have to think about it anymore. And we all move on with our lives. But 
a big part of the point of doing at least certain kinds of therapy is to actually figure out what did go wrong. What actually was going on here where this didn't work out so that we don't have to land on the belief. This is just who yeah. I am. Yeah. You know, we, we work with, um, uh, uh, with young people and, and some of those young people are in situations where they simply do not get enough food to eat. And it won't surprise you to hear that if you have a life where you literally don't get enough food to eat, your academic performance is going to suffer. Um, and it would be a really weird thing for a young person who's gotten, you know, some bad grades and had a rough time in school to say, well, I guess I just, I guess I'm just dumb. I guess I'm just not good at school. I guess that, and that's probably just the way it'll always be. So I just, anything that really requires book smarts, I just shouldn't think about for, for my future when no, you, you didn't have enough food and we can solve that food problem, which means that we can give you a, a whole new world where it comes to school and book smarts and academic stuff. Again, when we refuse to look at the problems that we've had in any kind of detail, we're kind of left with either God hates me or this is just who I am. And uh, God definitely does not hate you. And again, we want to be very wary of the belief this is just who I am. The truth is if we dig in, we will almost certainly find some things that they may not be easy to address, but they are addressable where you can make some changes, which means you can make different decisions today than you used to so you can right. get different outcomes tomorrow than you used to. And that's the thing that we want to see happen for you. That's absolutely right. And a great place to start off. Glenn, where do we take that next? Well, yeah, I, I love what uh, Joe was saying there. I think it's, I think it's important to look at and maybe ask yourself, are you willing to forgive people for their past mistakes? You know, people have done things wrong to you. Uh, that's affected you in certain ways that may have something to do with some of the less healthy behaviors that you're exhibiting now. And hopefully that's exactly the kind of things as, as Jed's pointing out that are coming out in therapy of, you know, uh, uh, where does this behavior come from? Where, where do these struggles come from and all of that? But are you willing to forgive those people for the way that they affected you? If if you're not, then, of course, let's keep going with the therapy and let's keep working on that because that's a process. It, that doesn't happen overnight. But if you're at a place where you can say, yeah, at least in theory, I want to forgive those people and I'm trying to and I'm peeling away the layers on that. I'm in the process of forgiving others for the stuff that they've done and maybe set me in some way set me down this path and even just other people who did other wrong stuff of you, uh, to you that uh, they just didn't know what they were doing and they, they messed up with you. If you are willing to forgive the past mistakes of others, I want you to be willing to be forgiven. Mm. That's the key thing that we're looking at here. Uh, there is forgiveness out there. Uh, God forgives. Uh, people who are emotionally healthy are willing to forgive. Uh, trust has to be earned back, of course, and that's a thing that takes time. And and if you're if you care about this situation, you care about rebuilding that trust, and you're willing to put in the time. So that's all fine. Uh, but I think it's going to be very problematic for you if, of course, you're struggling to forgive others. Is you know you're going to be holding in that anger, and that's going to drive more negative behavior, and we're going to have more problems. 
But if you're willing to forgive other people, I think you ought to be willing to forgive yourself. Mm. That is really going to help you move forward. Uh, You know, dwelling on our past in that way is going to drain us of a lot of energy. And when we're trying to put a lot of energy into fixing ourselves and thinking differently, uh, laying down those new thought processes, setting up new habits and having different reactions to things. I'm, I need, I need all my bandwidth to focus on that. Mm-hmm. I dwell on my past, man. I just, I'm not going to have that kind of energy uh, for that. So uh, it's uh, what you have right now is this present moment and it is a gift and, and see it that way, accept it that way. The final thing I would say is that if you can dig it, one of the most rare and remarkable and stunning things is when a human being actually changes. Real human change is extremely difficult. It takes a lot of effort. As, again, as I said, you're laying down these new mental pathways, and you're it's like hacking through the jungle and trying to create a new footpath for your brain to follow and new positive habits in your head. That is so rare and remarkable that even people who have been wronged by you, even people who uh, have, you know, have doubted you and aren't inclined to trust you right now, even those people will look at those changes and say, wow, that's something Mm. that will arrest them. That will give them, it makes an impression on people. If you focus on making those changes, people will be like, well, this this is something new. Maybe I need to rethink this. Maybe I need to be a little more open-minded to this is a new day. And that's really all that you can ask for because that gives you the opportunity to rebuild that trust, and then you're on the right road. But we're praying for you that whole way, and uh, God wants you to receive his forgiveness hmm. and forgive yourself. That's a great place to take that. And Lee, where do we close this out? I would close it out by saying this, which is which I, I I totally agree with everything these brothers are laying down, and I would start this off with a question, which is, how often have you seen someone in your life who makes the exact same mistake in relationships over and over and over again? Come on, man! Like, how Come many on. times have you seen somebody and they walk into a relationship and you're like, dude, I can already tell you where this is going to land in three weeks. Yeah, I can script what this will be. Yeah, you can go ahead and write it down. We can chalk it up on a chalkboard. I can tell you what's going to happen next. So I I, I lay out that question to say this to you. Yes, if we had a time machine, you would go back and you would do some things differently with your current partner. We we can all get on board with that. I'm sorry that you're going through what you're going through. I I I I, I definitely have uh, relationships in my past where I feel like I, where I feel some regret and I feel like man, if I if I had the maturity I have now, I could really have handled myself better in those relationships in the past. What I would say to you is, one, we are proud of you for going to therapy. Full stop. Two, um, yeah. the, the knowledge that you have now is for from now on. That's what that's for. It's for this moment on yeah. for the rest of your life. We cannot go back and do that, that past relationship any differently. But exactly as Glenn just got through saying, when you see a human being make a change, that is like an absolute actual miracle. Because as, as Jed was, uh, was agreeing with me there, uh, pretty much 
most of the folks you know, they make the same exact mistakes in every relationship on and on and on ad nauseum their entire lives. Your, the knowledge that you're gaining right now is from this moment on because now you have a different vision. You see things differently. You understand things differently. You have a different set of stratagems. You have a different set of tools. Um, I have a very, very good friend who grew up in a, an extremely manipulative uh, relationship with her mother and um, went to therapy for a number of years, gained a lot of tools, and then started a new job and recognized immediately, this person that I'm working for is manipulating me, and immediately put those tools into work and shut that thing down hard. And it was like, and I was just over on the side just like, Hey, standing ovation. You have completely changed the script of your life. It was amazing. The, the tools that you're, that you're gaining now are for every consequent relationship in the rest of your life so that you have strategies, so that you have tools in the bag, so that you know how to handle yourself going forward. Um, you could waste your life on regret. And what we would encourage you to do is Exactly, I'm going to use Glenn's exact word, jettison regret. Let that go. Forgive yourself and move on to the next relationship with a new kind of maturity, with a new kind of vision, with a new set of tools, with a new bag of strategies. And let's do something that's almost unforeseen in human experience, which is let's grow. Uh, we believe in you. You've got this. And I think, I think it's amazing that you have these new tools. I think it's amazing that you look back and, and you can see specific ways you could have done this other thing better. Okay, th- what that means is we can't undo that. Let's do the next one better. We believe in you, and we think you're amazing for seeing it that way. And we think you're going to have a, a great measure of success as you grow maturity in this next relationship. I think that's all great stuff. And I would, I would add to what Lee said there that uh, you can also grow maturity in the current relationship if you're... Uh, someone who's married, you've been married for a while and it's not been going great. You can use these tools to make marriage better because as we often talk about on the show, um, you can, you can start over with day one of your marriage, whenever you decide to, when, if you have new tools that allow you to be a better partner and move that forward, that is something you can definitely do within the relationship you are currently in. It's all great stuff. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous. Don't forget to join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. We're going to take out this song. This is from our sister program, The Bridge Loud, The Power in the Blood. Take out that. Ooh, Thanks for listening. Yeah. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, we're a Christian alternative to Christian podcasts. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, so. Would you be free from the burden of sin?